You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. It's hump day. Hopefully everybody's week is going smooth, like a baby's butt, like ice cream, like a good cup of coffee, like a good shot of bourbon, like, uh, I don't know, did I mention, <laughs> I don't know, it doesn't matter how smooth it is, but hopefully it is going smooth for you guys, and I promise that's the last time I'll use that word today. Hopefully everybody's having a good week, the, the weekend is so close I can taste it, um, sheds are starting to fall guys, I see a lot of pictures on, uh, Instagram and Facebook of people starting to find sheds. Um, I don't think I'm going to go out for a little while yet. Probably early to mid-February is when when I might take my first walk, and that's only a couple weeks away. But uh, I'm excited to get out there, stretch my legs, uh, scout some some property that I haven't had the proper time to scout, and uh, really put the boots to the ground, cover a lot of ground, and like they say, miles for piles. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. Now today, we have a really interesting podcast, and uh, we're going to be talking with Bradley Zank of Wisconsin. Now Bradley uh, is going to share a story about a piece of property that is owned by his grandfather and that he's hunted for several years, and uh, he's going to talk about this piece of property that is a majority agriculture, but has just the right amount to pull deer into it or the way he hunts it is to you know basically catch a corner of the property where he has all all the deer movement and how how he does it so it's a pretty interesting uh interesting uh, story of a guy who's successful um with what he's been dealt so uh that is the cool thing about that. Now, before we get into today's podcast, let's hear from Exodus Trail Cameras founder, one of the guys, uh, him and Chad, about why Exodus is a direct-to-consumer business. So, you know, direct-to-consumer is is kind of this buzzword that's going around these days in the retail space because it's causing a lot of disruption. And a lot of your big retailers aren't going to tell you this yet, but they're worried about it, very worried about it. Because what we see is over the next five to ten years, companies like Kuyu, Maven Optics, 
Exodus Outdoor Gear, um, yours truly. I see companies like that becoming the normal rather than the exception. The reason why is people are not necessarily excited about the fact that they're paying about half of every product that they buy in profit to Cabela's, Bass Pro's, Dick Sporting Goods, all the major retailers of the world. So what we do is instead of that, we build a product. We build it better because we don't have to compete with 15 other products that are on the same shelf. We build it better. Nobody's telling us how to build our products. We put them out at a better price, and you're getting a more quality product for a cheaper price, which everybody, I think, can be happy with. What we typically like to say is if our camera, the Exodus Lift, was in retail stores, it would be about $479 retail. We're able to sell it at $230 retail and offer our five-year warranty and 50% off theft you know, damage replacement policy because we're direct-to-consumer, and that's a big deal to us. Make sure you guys go and check out exodusoutdoorgear.com. Take a look at their cameras, all the benefits that the company can offer you, especially being a direct-to-consumer company. And if you do decide to purchase, which uh, if you're looking for a trail camera, this is a great camera, and I strongly suggest you do, use the code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS, no spaces, and you will receive $20 off of your purchase. Check them out. Now, let's get into today's podcast with Bradley Zank. All right, on the phone with me right now is Bradley Zank. How are you doing today, Bradley? Pretty good. How about you, Dan? Can't complain. Uh, I think my voice and sinuses are somewhat back to normal, so I don't sound like I'm pinching my nose when I talk. But uh, it looks like you shot a pretty good deer this year. Yeah, that was a pretty good year for me. Okay. Well, I tell you what, let's start off. Why don't you tell everybody where do you live and what do you do for a living? Well, I live in uh, Sheboygan County, Wisconsin. Uh, it's right along Lake Michigan, uh, central, uh, south central, our north of Milwaukee, our south of Green Bay. Um, I service water softeners, reverse osmosis, iron filters, arsenic filters, basically water conditioning equipment. Okay. For a company that rhymes with Schmulligan. <laughs> what are, by law, are you not supposed to say that? I don't think it matters. But. <laughs> well, for all in, for all purposes, we will. If we, if your company comes back up, we'll call it Schmulligan. Okay. That okay. Good. Uh-huh. Cool, cool. So, um, so do you? Are you traveling a lot then throughout the your county that you live in, or th- like do you have a an area that you cover? Uh, I travel, you know, nothing overnight. Just it's yeah, a pretty big area, like a county and a half area. So I'm hundred hundred miles a day, hundred fifty miles a day. Okay, so being that you have a job that. Uh, you know, you probably have to go into the basement of some people's houses, I take it, right? Oh, yeah. What is the dirtiest house you've ever have, have had to be in? And have you thought about going, you know, screw it. I'm not even going to do it. It's so disgusting. Uh, yeah, I've had that a few times. I've had ones uh, <laughs> where I've gone to work on equipment and it's at the other, other end of the basement and it's just 
boxes everywhere or, you know, dead mice in the, you know, like a slop sink. Or we just had a guy, I didn't find it, but he had a a snake skin on some of the piping and plumbing down in the basement. Oh, my gosh. There's a big difference in generations, I'll tell you that. It seems like the older generation takes a bit more pride in the cleanliness of their house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a fact. That is a fact. So uh, you've you've had to run into some uh, pretty disgusting things, like dirt basements looking like there there potentially could have been a homicide there at some point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had a few of those where I wouldn't be surprised to find a limb <laughs> limb coming out of the dirt or something. You charge extra for that, right? I definitely work faster. <laughs> That's for sure. All right, That's so pretty interesting. So this year you shot a, a pretty good buck, and uh, I'm uh, like every one of these that I do. I'm always really interested re- in the terrain features uh, from state to state, and even different portions of uh, a state because they can vary drastically. But why don't you? How many? First off, how many acres do you have access to? Do you hunt private ground? Do you hunt public ground? Do you lease ground? Why don't you fill us in? On, to, on some of that okay well my grandpa owns 80 acres in Fond du Lac County mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously private and I, I'm the only one that hunts that uh, I do live in Sheboygan County where we have a whole bunch of uh, public kettle marine forest so I yeah. hunt there because it's convenient and close mm-hmm. and then I also have access to a 33 acre parcel land right outside of a city called Port Washington, which is right along the lake. Okay. And I just started to get to know, but uh, this deer was taken on my grandpa's farm, and that's, you know, that's probably my spot with the best opportunities just because it's private, and me, uh, the neighbor and I are real kind of close, and I'm watching the deer and letting them get a little bigger and stuff like that. But I got, I, I can't complain. I have been pretty fortunate to have some pretty good ground to go on. Perfect. So being that close to a big body of water, I'm, I'm assuming it's flat. The, the ground that you hunt is, is fairly flat. Am I wrong? Um, why don't you talk about the, uh, some of the terrain features that the property that you hunt on has, and maybe talk about, you know, what kind of, uh, is it ag? Is it pasture? Is it, uh, you know, pines, all that stuff. Okay, well, I'll be mainly talk about the Fond du Lac County land. Um, and Fond du Lac County is mainly if it's either marsh or 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 agriculture. There's not not a lot of woods, really. I'd right. be surprised to see too many 10, 15-acre chunks of woods, okay. mainly marsh. And then as soon as it's tillable, it's getting tilled up. Uh, my grandpa's piece of land is just like that. It's like probably 50 to 60 acres of soybeans or corn every year it switches and then uh, it starts a pretty good sized marsh probably 300 acres of marsh oh really yeah and he's got kind of just the corner it's kind of like if the deer wanted to travel to the southwest they'd have to they wouldn't have to if they wanted to stay concealed they'd have to cut through my grandpa's land and then there's a, a ditch system that kind of works its way through there that he owns most of so it kind of necks down right in there 
and then he's got a pond on the land that DNR built or dug out, I don't know, probably in the 70s. Kind of like it's, it looks just like a donut with an island on it. Gotcha. I, the island's about as big as four cars. It's it's a small pond, but it funnels them even further to one side of the pond or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just uh, that's how that land is. And then he actually just put like ten more acres in CRP, which has really helped just keeping deer bedded on right. the property. A lot of times, there's always a bunch of does bedded on there but not always so much bucks in the last three years that he's had the crp i've had a, a more of a homebody type buck that i get you know i get them daily instead of weekly yeah. okay so on this particular piece of property where this buck is did you say that the 300 acres of marsh is your grandpa's or he just owns a sliver of like a, a yeah, little he, portion of it yeah he only owns probably three acres of it Okay. And it, I'm just saying it's untouched, like as far as there's no roads in that marsh. It's just it's a big, nasty marsh. Yep. But the guy that I'm pretty good friends with, he owns like 150 acres of it. He's the property owner to the north. Okay. So is that the main bedroom, or does, does that hold the majority of the, the deer in that area, that marsh? Yeah, that's that's where they go that's where they come from uh most of the time even when the corn's up like this year that was really wet so it seemed like they were kind of liking the corn because it was Mm -hmm. so wet you know but most of the time yeah they're in that marsh or they go there how they get around so and this is what i'm really interested I've, i've never had any property that is I guess where a terrain feature such as a marsh is the main focus. I've had, you know, I got a couple little smaller quote unquote marshes. Basically it's just low land that collects water every once in a while. But, um, uh, in this marsh that, you know, that you're talking about, are there standing trees big enough to get uh, a tree stand in? Um, how do how do you hunt that particular marsh? Is it, is it something that you go into at times or is it, you know, you're hunting the, the outskirts of it? Uh, there are trees that are, that are in there, old, old willows. And, you know, you get a lot of just not very thick trees that you don't trust, but there are some super old trees that are never straight that grow in there. But for the most part, I try to stay on the edges. Um, unless I have a, you know, if I know something's coming through, I'll take a chance and go through it. But most of the yeah. time, I'm on the edges looking in, seeing okay. what's going on because it's really loud. You can't sneak through there at all. Right. So, does that offer? Let's say you're sitting a tree on the edge of this marsh. Is that a great observation stand? To I mean, as soon as these deer stand up, are you able to look into the marsh and see them kind of traveling through it? Or is the grass tall enough to where these these animals are completely covered up? Uh, most of the time, they'd be completely covered up unless you know you get them at this that right moment. Right. I okay. uh, generally the old, the more I hunt this property, I used to be go into where I thought was the best and just kind of wreck it. But now I don't. I hunt it three, four, or five times a year, and that's it because you just can't. And everything that comes out of the marsh is coming to the crop field, so you 
you can't really get in there too good without right. in the evening, without busting everything in the morning. You kind of got to take a risk. I mean, I've busted, I blew a field full of deer. If I get there early enough, a bunch will come back, but nothing big okay. usually. <laughs> okay. So, so the majority of the deer on this piece of property are coming from the marsh and heading to the ag fields, which a major, like the rest of the property is in ag, right? For the yeah, most with part. the exception of the there's uh, the the ponds in let's say the northeast corner. Okay. And then kind of strafing down to the southwest is a drainage ditch. Okay. So the top, say seventy percent of the property, the drainage ditch north, that's all CRP now. So okay. Probably really about the top fifteen acres are really all that you're hunting. Okay. All right. So is that ditch then? a really good travel corridor coming from the marsh? I mean, are they, are they using that ditch, that low spot a lot? And now that they have this uh, CRP field, does that bring them out of the marsh to bed in that CRP before they go to the corn? Or you, you mentioned, you mentioned that the CRP has what you feel benefited the property. Talk to us like, what the deer movement was before the CRP and then talk to us now about once that CRP has been put in. Uh, before the CRP, that was just tillable land. That was corn or soybean. So if the, if the corn was up, there was still deer in it, but they're really hard to get to. And when the soybeans were up and they were cut, it was just, you know, nothing there. And it was, you know, they don't hang out in soybeans until they're feeding, at least from in my experience. So right. it, it was just more of the same. Now that it's CRP, I, there's deer bedding in there, and they, I found a spot where they, they'll be bedded, and they'll come to that crick and feed. I got a nice stand where I can uh, get into a, a nice high tree and watch that CRP, and it's the deer are just, they're not afraid to walk around in that during the day and go drink out of that ditch. Right. Okay. And they're just they're just closer to the fields that I want to hunt, and they're, you know, it seemed like early season, you know, the marsh is real buggy. Where that CRP is, the wind is always kind of humming in there. I think it keeps the bugs off them. Okay, so, so they feel I, they feel comfortable in that, uh, not only from like a bug standpoint, but um, there's a you know they 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 can find a position in that CRP where they feel feel comfortable from a wind standpoint too, right? Yeah, that's what it sure seems like. It seems like they're they got some nice vantage points in there because it isn't totally flat. I wouldn't call it hilly, but it's not not a flat piece. It's just kind of rolling up and down slightly. Okay. Now, for the most part, you know, overall. The, is the property flat or does it have any other, I mean, are there terraces on this ag field where they might be able to bed or maybe congregate, or is it just for the most part flat? No, if you're looking at it from the road, it go it gets, it, it goes up probably, I don't know, 200 yards is up and then it dips down into that marsh and it's yep. still agriculture until it gets to a certain low spot. So it's, the nice part about the whole property is from the road, you can't see where the agriculture stops. Okay. So it's very private back there. Nice. And nice. 
you know, see of agriculture on the one side, and then there's another road to the uh, west, and there's a huge alfalfa field that's to the north of my grandpa's place. Okay. I mean, it, it's like 250 acres, and then that dips down in the marsh, so that's really private also. So okay. it's nice and secluded from the road. It looks like a cornfield or a soybean field. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then it goes all the way back to the fence line that divides your grandpa's place from that alfalfa field to the north? Yep. And then okay. yeah, about half of it's at alfalfa field, alfalfa field, and then the other half kind of starts that big marsh. Gotcha. So then on the alfalfa field, uh, do a lot of deer go to that early season and as long as the that uh, there's fresh greens there? Yeah, it's been alfalfa for three years, so... Yeah, it's it's still going to be alfalfa next year because they didn't kill it. But, yeah, that field, they just kind of pour into that field. And you'll hear later that, you know, like the deer I killed came out of that field. Actually, no, the the deer I saw before him came out of that field. Okay. So then what are the deer numbers like in that area? (laughs) Excuse me. Um, I said they're decent. I mean, I don't see... The most deer I've ever seen on a hunt was when last year. I think it was like 22. Okay. But generally I see, you know, two to five deer. Most of the time does. Okay. But there's definitely, you know, it's not like the deer are hurting. They're not in that area. But gotcha. I don't they're real overpopulated either. Right. Is Now, going back to this marsh, is the is the marsh the main feature in this entire area i mean if you were to zoom out like you know think of your property as a on google maps and you were to zoom out are there any other big features like a a chunk of timber or a giant ravine or a creek or a river that are you know either to the north west or south you know that that may allow deer to move through it or have deer congregate there um yeah to the little bit I'd say on the west side of the marsh to the north, my neighbor there, he has maybe a half acre of pines that are 20 years old. It's real thick, and him and I go shed hunting in there together, and there's always, it's one of the main bedding areas. I know that because we always find sheds, and I see a lot of deer come out of there. Okay. Um, Okay. Other than that, he has a pond also back there, which it's still small. It's maybe a quarter acre, but it's mainly just, marsh really it's just marshland he is a couple like island type things where there's some trees but and it's agriculture all along this whole marsh i mean i'm talking you know probably thousands of acres not thousands maybe five six hundred acres that border this whole thing that's in any alfalfa corn soybeans every year you know yeah for sure no shortage of food yeah now what about the quality of deer in this area? I mean, you you estimated your buck to be a four-year-old? Yeah, I'd say he's four. I got three years of pictures of him, and like I said, I don't I don't really know when he was, you know, 35-inch deer what he looked like. Right. So do a lot of deer get to, you know, four-year-old, you know, four-year-old, four years old in your area, or um, is, is it heavily pressured because i know wisconsin has a rifle season too right yeah oh yeah and uh didn't know if uh the quality is i mean are are, are you 
able to have a crack at a four-year-old every year if you put the time in? Uh, yeah, I would say so. A three or four for sure. We always have, between my neighbor and I, like I said, we're pretty close and talk strategy and all that together. There's usually, between the two of us with our, you know, probably about 10 cameras, um, there's probably three to four, you know, I'd say four and a half or three to four and a half. And, you know, that one that we would shoot and then there's, yeah, yeah. I'd say we always have pretty, pretty, pretty good chances. You know, we've okay. I've shot a buck the last two years. He shot a pretty nice buck the last three or four. Okay. So, are are you able to control the between the two of you? Are you able to control enough of the area to you know pass on? You know, now that you've shot a four year old that sound or in in a good deer last year. And he shot, sounds like he's doing the same thing you are on a consistent basis. Are you guys communicating in a way where, all right, man, this is a four-year-old. Let's, let's pass a four-year-old this year. Let's see what happens. And hopefully he stays in the area. Have you guys had any conversation like, like that? All the time, except for he, he would prefer they got to about six years old. He's very, very, very picky. Where I'm not, I'm not quite to his level. He's, you know, he's, well, he's, he's quite a bit older than me. He's, uh, he's in his late sixties. You know, I'm 35. Yeah. And he, he really doesn't shoot them unless they're big. I'd say the last two years he's shot a 160 or better. Okay. So he has the main property where probably the deer, I mean, it sounds to me like, you have a good farm, but a smaller portion of the good area, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if he, he was slaying the deer, I wouldn't have much of a shot. You know, if he right. was mowing them down, I, my chances would go way down at shooting. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I have a I have a farm like that too, where the neighbors they they manage their deer really well, and they are passing a whole bunch of big deer and. Uh, deer to get them mature and i get the residual off that just because i'm close um yeah. so so uh i i kind of know it kind of know what the situation is that you're working with now um are you to the point now where you're you might be in that okay trail cameras are showing first off do you do you run trail cameras throughout the summer to take inventory of the deer in your area oh yeah for sure Okay. So from, from, a, I guess from a, a harvest standpoint, um, this upcoming year, now that you've harvested a four-year-old, um, I, and, and I guess, tell me a little bit about some of the other deer that you've harvested in the past. Um, let's see, let me look around here. I shot, uh, this one is probably my second biggest out there. I shot one, uh, 2011, I shot about, I think it was a 143. Okay. And, uh, last year, the deer I shot was a three-year-old. It wasn't a four. It was only about 115 inches, but, uh, my wife and I had a, just had a child. And okay. First thing I got, first opportunity I had at something that got my heart going, I was taking because I wasn't going to get a lot of chances out there. Gotcha. But, um, other than that, I've shot probably... My fair share of three-year-olds out there, probably a four, four okay. between, say, 90 and 125. That, yeah, I'm kind of, 
I guess I'm about ready to go up to the next step on that that particular piece of land. But there's a kind of a different dynamic to that chunk of land because it's it's in the family. It's been in the family since uh, well, it was a hundred years in 2006. Oh wow! And yeah, it's the, the thing is, it's not going to be in the family forever. Well, if I have my way, it will be. But um, you know, it's complicated. But you know, once my grandpa passes probably going to get sold so yeah i'm kind of torn between waiting you know having three four year droughts of shooting a deer off there or just kind of treasuring every moment i have out there right now right and right. uh you know i have two young boys i'm hoping my oldest at least get to take a deer off that land but so okay it's tough and land in that area is very expensive i wouldn't be able yeah. to afford 80 acres at you know three three to four thousand an acre yeah Man, three to four thousand an acre. That which sucks, and not to you know try to be a one upper, but man, good good ground down here where I'm where I hunt is even higher than that. You're talking in the the fives. That depends on you know if the ag yield. They have like a equation for I think it's called a corn base or um, some other kind of yield like a yield potential based off the soil sample that they take. And if that, the the better that is, then the better, you know, the more expensive the ground is. That's if you're, if it has any tillable on it, which obviously drives up all the rest of the average of the, of the property. But so I can definitely understand, especially if you want to try to buy uh, (laughs) a little slice of heaven, you're, you're either saving and saving, saving, or it just, it's, it's not a reality. Yeah, and I am saving, but the the chances of getting that piece are still slim. So right, and then well, we got the mega farm out there that has a lot of capital. They can buy pretty much anything they want. I mean, they're a humongous operation. Rosendale yeah. Dairy, it's called. Yeah, it's huge. And they just buy up all the land that comes for sale. From what I'm hearing, I mean, I don't. I just talk to people and. That's from what I hear, and they own a couple of the chunks that border it. And you know, I don't know anything about the people, but right. I know they buy it up. They buy it up, and it's right, right in their wheelhouse as far as where it is and everything. So, gotcha. I gotcha. Well, let's talk about this particular buck. All right. It sounds to me like you have a good chunk of history with him. Uh, why don't you go ahead and start it off, maybe with like a, the first time you ever saw him, whether it was a shed that you found or you got him on trail camera or did you see him from the stand? What was what was uh, your first in view of this buck? Um. Okay, my first time I ever saw him on the hoof would have been the first time I hunted in 2014. Okay. And he was a tall eight-pointer at the time and his brow tines kind of hooked towards the outside of his rack and I had had a few pictures of him so I knew he you know he existed and then that I don't I don't know if it was opening day but my first hunt morning hunt of the year uh, I was hunting the edge of the corn in the marsh and he just was there and, and gone and he was always the kind of deer that I'd get in the summer and then we wouldn't get him till late season he just wasn't uh, I just he got run off every year it seemed like okay and then in in 2015, I had more pictures. His rack looked pretty much the same as it did 
as when he was a two-year-old. As a three-year-old, it was just thicker and not even really taller, just thicker. But okay. same thing, pitchers in velvet and then nothing till, you know, December. Okay. And, uh, now, but, in in 2014, when you had you know when you first knew this deer was alive, what what do you think he would have scored uh, as an eight? I, I think he would have probably been in like 90 inches or so. Okay. All right. Looked like about 14 inch spread or something like that. Okay. And then, what did you estimate him to be back then? That's when I think he's two. Okay, two year old. All right. Yeah. Now, did where I'm from, you look at an eight pointer, and unless you're looking really hard at it, and you you know you do what I guess I do and what you do, and you really study the characteristics of some of these antlers, there's about 10, 15 different eight pointers in the ninety inch category every year. Mm-hmm. And so, was there any other characteristics about this buck that kind of carried on to 2015 when you recognized him again? Yeah, his his brow tines they they hook towards his main beam, so they both get towards his ears. They're shorter, but they the one on the right leans that way, and the other one actually hooked that way. Okay. And then in 2015, it it looks literally like the identical rack as 2014, except for just thicker, and the okay. brow tines don't turn as much. I think it's just because they're thicker. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you had a, a decent, uh, you had a decent, uh, I, I guess, inclination that it was the same buck. Yeah, and his, I didn't mention this too, but his G2s are pretty tall. I mean, they're like, yeah. even as, even in when I think he's two, they're still like seven inches tall. Yeah. You know, and his G3s are rather short, maybe three inches. Yeah. It's like that the same the next year. So yeah, I, I bet between the 14 and 15, I I would, I mean, it's my best guess that it's him, I mean, but yeah. I could be wrong okay. too. But. So as a three-year-old, you know, in 2015, um, what was he, I mean, he was a 90, as a two-year-old, he was a 90-incher. What was he, how much bigger do you think he how much mass do you think he added and i guess what do you from a inches standpoint what would you guess him at in 2015 i don't think he put that much on he put on a good amount of mass but his rack doesn't look that much different except for the mass i'd say maybe about 115 okay all right so uh did he even make a blip on your radar then in 2015 as far as hey if he he came by I might shoot him. Well, he came by. I, I don't know. I probably would have because I knew I wouldn't have a lot of time. But oh, that's I right. Yeah. Felt, I would have probably would have felt guilty. But uh, the area he did put on a lot of size is his body. His right. body. I'm looking at the picture right now. He's significantly thicker in the you know the front half. But, in 2015. Yeah, he he really looks. You know, he's a lot thicker. The okay. body, but yeah, I probably would have, but I probably would have wished I hadn't. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So, but, in two thousand and 
14 and 2015. Uh, you said in 2014 he was there, and then he disappeared, and then he would return late season. Uh, did he do the same thing in 2015? Yeah, he did. I didn't. My I never even had a picture of him velvet. My neighbor did who showed me, and then at the end of the year, I had a couple pictures of him. I plant a couple small plots, usually turns, Nebraska yeah. type stuff. I had a couple pictures on it. Neither of us has ever found a shed of him, but he. That's when he turns back up. But we've had, uh, in 2014, we had a really, really big deer back there. And uh, I didn't really, he was spending a lot of time on the farm I was hunting. I had pictures of him. I had tons of pictures of him. But he, I think he was keeping the other bucks off of there because when he, until he got shot, I wasn't getting very many other deer other than him. Gotcha. So he was ruling the roost, so to speak. That's that's the only thing I could explain because the neighbor shot him gun hunting. I think the last, the second week of gun hunting, and all of a sudden I had bucks showing back up that I hadn't seen in a while. Okay, so then this buck, this bigger buck that you were talking about, gets shot. And did you notice a change in the farm then? I mean, you said you saw a whole bunch of bucks come in after he was shot. Did that continue to the? Uh, to the next year as well into, uh-huh. into, into 2016 did you notice more more bucks coming into the property yeah but i think part of that too is there was another really old deer uh, we call them scarface because it's the pictures of him in uh, velvet you know and his fur is real short where his whole face is just tore up from scars and his whole neck and front shoulders yeah he he was not a very gifted deer in the antler department but he was an old deer and he i had videos of him being just a real bully both them deer got shot in 2015 okay but we see a lot a lot more in that say two and a half class come back it seemed like gotcha gotcha so it, it almost sounds and I, I hear this a lot where you pull one maybe two mature deer out of an area it creates like a vacuum a power vacuum and then you have all these other deer move in and you know okay there you know everybody starts to jockey for position and sometimes it can take a year to establish who's the big dog now based off of you know what their core areas are um knowing what 2000 this buck did 2014 and 2015 did his did his pattern change in 2016 then? Oh, for sure. He was he he took took up ownership of the my my grandpa's farm for sure. I mean, I had I had pictures. I bet I had 800 pictures of him. Oh wow! I mean, throughout the season, I had. So he moved actually, in. Yeah, he, it was actually kind of funny. I had a camera set up on the edge of the pond in the CRP and the. First couple of pictures you ever get a picture where you see the antlers, but the picture's really blurry and the deer looked like it took off, spooked from the flash or something. Yeah, yeah. My first card pull, I got that. I'm like, oh, that deer's gone. This stinks, you know. And I can tell it's got a nice rack. And then uh, yeah. I had left the camera in place, and I went back like the next month to ch- check it, and he just got accustomed to the camera, didn't care anymore, and he was right. I had daylight pictures of him all summer, and even once the hunting season started. Wow. So I knew so, he was uh, living bed and close. Right. Now, did you 
did you find out before the season started or did you have an idea where he was betting and how he was using your the property that you were hunting? Yeah, I had the the camera that I was that I was talking about was right on the edge of where the marsh grass is in the CRP, and it came up to the pond where I know they like to drink. And it's yep. real easy to access the what I call the tractor trail. I can drive my truck right up to the camera. Okay. And he was out. He was there two or three times a week. You know, hour before um, dark. So I figured he's he's got to be close. And then the neighbor to the west where my grandpa's ends, there's about uh, maybe 200 yards of a field somebody else has there that was corn, but that was cut for silage. I only got one hunt in before that corn was gone. And I suspected he was either in that corn bedding. He was bedding to the west and moving east of that pond, and I was getting a lot of pictures of him on that camera. Okay. But I kind of knew he was, you know, using that trailer that following the edge of that marsh, you know, at least several times a week. Okay. Now, did you put two and two together and ever say, okay, well, he is using this property on this particular wind or this particular, I don't know, maybe a moon phase or, or he was only using this property on, uh, you know, at the tail end of a cold front or, you know, the, the very beginning of a cold front. Did you, was there any consistency from a weather standpoint or a wind direction? Not that I noticed. And generally out here, the wind is blowing, you know, easterly one way or another. It changes, but that's definitely the prevailing way, you know, to the east. So I never really, never really noticed a correlation like that, but I also didn't look that hard either. Okay. Now, once you, once you realized that this buck was, on the property, you realized, I mean, did you realize it was him again from the previous years? No, actually, I didn't do that at all until after I killed him. I started looking, he had a notch in his ear in 2015. Okay. And I actually posted on, you know, bowhunting.com. I was asking some people if they thought it was that deer and that someone on there actually noticed the notch in the ear. I suspected once I shot him, I was going through the old photos from the other years, but yeah. Got some characteristics, but he, he really, I don't say blew up, he put on pretty good chunk of antler, so yeah. I didn't know for sure. I'll be honest, and, and for the listeners out there, make sure you go to the Facebook, you know, to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page to look at the picture of this buck. But the way you're holding him, he makes him look gigantic. Yeah. And it, what, what, what was he in 2016, a 10-pointer or a 9-pointer? He's his G three on the right side might be an inch, so he's probably a legal uh, nine, but he has ten points. Okay, okay. So he uh, he he jumped up a lot from one fifteen. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so you knew the buck was you knew the buck was using your this this farm on on somewhat of a, a regular basis. Did you do any early season hunts to try to catch up with this buck? Or did you wait until, you know, late October to start hunting? No, I actually went in uh, the first day I could. I thought I had a good shot of killing him. 
the tree that was near that camera um, to, to try to get a crack at him. I wasn't going to. I just wanted to go for him. If he's using the trail, why not just set up on him and try to get him? Right. Um, right. And uh, the day I did that, enough, I didn't see a deer. So. <laughs> okay. Now, was this a run and gun, or did you already have a stand set up for before no, the season started? It was a it was a run and gun. I just kind of, you know, I just I didn't want to educate them because there's not a lot of trees. So I almost thought, well, if I spend you know an hour clearing out everything, it might hurt me more than help me rather than just setting up quick. Because there's not that hard to set up. I didn't think there's not not the, the tree I wanted wasn't with tons of branches or anything, just throw it up there. And yeah. I've hunted, I've had it stand in that tree in the past, you know, so I, it was, I knew how to get into it and everything. Yeah. So what was the access um, to the back of this farm? Did you have to just start at the south and work your way north every time, or did you have any permission to enter from the east or, or from the west or to the north at all? Uh, no, you pretty much got to go. You can take fence lines on the east or west, or the tractor trail is basically right up the gut of the middle. Gotcha, so, gotcha. And did that did that help or hurt you? You think only you know your access being limited? Oh, it hurts. It definitely hurts because they know. I mean, I've gone so far as I don't park on that tractor trail at all anymore. And through scouting in the winter, I know they face. I mean, they're facing south a lot anyways, but I know that they're watching when I, where I'm walking, especially if I go right up that tractor trail. Right. Without question. So so morning hunts, I take it, are kind of difficult for this piece of property. If the, if the corn's up, you can get away with it, because I'll you know, go two rows into the corn. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, when it's soybeans, it's I don't really like doing it. Okay. Okay. So... So then you're limited to a majority of evening hunts, I take it, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, early season, you went in there, uh, you, you hung a stand on kind of a run-and-gun setup, and uh, you didn't see a single deer. Did you leave that stand up from no. from there on out, or did you take her down? No, I took it down. Um, you know, I was kind of frustrated, but... I thought, you know, I signed the check already, you know, this is a slam dunk. Right. <laughs> so I was right. like, hey, if I didn't get them now, I'm going to just stay out of here for a while. Okay. So why do you think you didn't see them? Now, do you think maybe, uh, the, you know, the wind played some tricks on you? Do you think you busted him maybe coming in? Any any inclination? Uh, I, I guess I would say either he busted me or, you know, some other deer did and he knew better at that point. Gotcha. But I didn't, you know, I didn't see anything take off, but for me not to see a deer out there at all, it usually means something's something. Okay. The, the, the gig is up. Okay. Uh, and this is just kind of a random question, but do you have any hunting pressure on either your property or neighboring properties? I know, I know the guy who owns the marsh hunts, but that's just one guy over, you know, a big, big chunk of a property. Do you ever run into any other guys out there? Uh, not anymore. I, I used to, uh, years ago, I used to because my great-grandpa would give people permission to duck hunt out there. And even though he had been dead for 
15 years, people would still come out there once in a while and tell me that he gave them permission and I'd have to turn them <laughs> around. But no, it's, it's not, no, it's pretty, I might get pressure from people out doing stuff, but not that much hunting pressure. I mean, everybody out in that area hunts, but not right around me. A lot of those egg fields, at least two of the egg fields on that border, that there's real no hunting land. There's not even a tree on those properties. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you decided. You decided. Hey, I'm gonna. I didn't see him this one. This one hunt. I thought I was going to. Uh, I'm gonna lay off the property for a little bit. Let things maybe get back to normal. How often were you checking trail cameras? Uh, you know, to be honest, once the season starts, I don't do a lot of checking because I don't get out there that much as it is, and I'm not gonna go rooting around the whole place it's nice not that small or it's not that big so if i walk by them i'll check them but i rarely i really don't check them that much okay so how long did you wait to go into that property again um the next hunt that was on was september 28th and that that was a i went that night because i had a, a wind from the east blowing to the west it was blowing northwest which allowed me to go in on the west fence line and right at the south part of that ditch where that creek comes across where the crp starts i got a tree stand in there that's nice and high and i can see the crp and you know i really won't get busted because that corn had been cut over there so there's just a one little spot where they can really get downwind to me okay and so then I could kind of observe that whole CRP and that, you know, the ditch line and some of the corn. Okay. And what was that date again? September 28th. September 28th? Yeah, September. Okay, September 28th. And when does your season start? Um, um, it's usually the second week of September, but let me... Okay. So it was like the it was like the twelfth or something like that is when you initially went in, and then September twenty eighth you went in again um, off this on the west side of the farm. Did you did you see him then, or did you did you have any encounters with him or any other deer? Yeah, I did, but I think bull hunting opened on the seventeenth this year. I'm okay. Pretty sure. So I, I wouldn't hunt it before it opened. So I want to get that out there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Know. yeah but that's yeah. a good uh that's a good uh a good point yeah i wasn't out there i wasn't i think it was a sunday but yeah that night september 28th <clears throat> i saw him get up i don't have the exact time but what it was kind of a revolutionary hunt for me because i saw him get up in that crp or i didn't know when he got up i just saw something and i put my binos on it and he was in the same spot where i was getting the trail camera pictures of him a little west of there but he was up in the CRP feeding, and okay. he just, it was just amazing watching him. He didn't move 20 yards in 45 minutes. He'd just eat, stick his head up, look around, and maybe take a step or two every five minutes. So he was very comfortable in there, probably not only from a betting, but uh, not only from a betting standpoint, but just from you know enough graze there as well. Yeah, there's a lot of clover in that CRP, and he was just, it was really cool just to watch him from, you know, I could 
I could see him with my naked eye, but with the binos, it was just really impressive watching him. Right. And, uh, you know, knowing I was a comfortable distance where he wasn't going to be bothered by me, but and then okay. also kind of like realizing, you know, how cautious these deer are. Right, right. So witnessing what you witnessed that night, did you, did that give you any information to maybe make a different move on this deer? Not really, because where he was, there's no trees. He, he came okay. out of a low spot, and he never made it as far as the tree I initially hunted. I mean, the only thing that I would have got out of the other tree was busted when I was climbing down. So right. Right. It, it just made me, you know, know he's still there, and I got to just wait for a different opportunity. Okay. So when the sun went down that night on that hunt, did you did you see him work his way away, or was he still there in that same area when when it was dark? Yeah, he he stayed in that same area. I mean, okay, probably two hundred and fifty yards from me, and he gotcha. kind of worked his way towards the pond. Okay, all right. So, two thousand twenty eighth or uh, September twenty eighth. <laughs> gosh. Uh, September 28th goes by. Um, when was the next time you were in there? Um, the next time I was in there, I I don't know the next time I was in there. I don't have that down, but I didn't have the next hunt of that had any kind of meaning was October 23rd. I, I probably didn't. I'm on call once in a while for work, so I know in October I took a couple people's on call, so I wouldn't be on call at all in November, so I didn't hunt much in October until later and I had a bunch okay. of vacation. So my next, I went in the morning of the 23rd and this was, this was an interesting hunt. Okay. <laughs> and I went all the way to the North side of the property. Um, how guess, far from when, how far from where you saw him last? Uh, probably 50 yards, but he was kind of on the, central part of the property or maybe let's say 75 percent you know of the northwest just to the north maybe you know three-fourths of the way north i was gonna be hunting about 40 yards from the fence line between the pond and the fence line so for some reason my great grandpa took a some farming implement and i think it's called a harrow but he just drug a like a made an opening in the soil and planted all these, I call them arborvitae, you know, the pine trees without the needles. They got like the, I don't know, kind of the knot needles. <laughs> yeah. But, and they're really old now and big. I have a tree stand that's in this row that it's just perfect for a tree stand and you can't pick me up in there. I've had a decent, had some good chances in the mornings because they'll take the edge of that field or they'll go between me and the pond getting back into that marsh to bed. Yeah. And I killed my deer out of there last year, and I only go there when I think it's going to be money, and it almost always is. And that's why that hunt on the 23rd was kind of interesting. <laughs> so what happened on the 23rd? Okay. Well, it's, it's a good story. I got there. I saw I, I walked through the corn, and then I have to cut through some marsh, but I just pretty much put my head down, and I just try to get to my tree as fast as I can if I make some noise. Yep. I don't worry too much about it. Um, so 
I, I got set up in my tree and I hang my bow up. Actually, no, I put my safety harness on, pull my bow up, I hang it on a little branch and just, I'm just waiting and it's finally starting to get light and I don't see anything, but I hear like this creaking sound. And, you know, after my bow fell out of the tree, uh, it made sense to me that, that was that branch creaking. Oh, so man. my, my, my bow comes crashing to the ground and it's loud and it's like prime time. It's like 15 minutes after, you know, you can start, start shooting light. Yeah. So I'm pretty upset. I go down to get my bow and my bow is fine, but it broke my arrow. So I lost my broadhead. I couldn't find the side of the arrow and I just quickly looked. Yeah. And I went back into the tree you know, knocked a new arrow and, uh, you know, waited. I was cursing up and down at myself for not, you know, for hanging my bow on that limb or whatever. Yeah. But then straight across the alfalfa field on the edge of that field in a marsh, two deer pop out and they're it's like 500 yards. You can see a long ways and they're yeah. working that edge of that field and there's a pretty good chance they're going to come to me. Okay. So I put my binos on, and I, it looks like I can see the back one's a buck, and the front one didn't look like a buck, so I thought, oh, he must be chasing a doe. Well, come to find out, the first one's just a smaller buck, but the one yeah. behind it was a decent buck, and uh, it's a buck we had some pretty good pictures of. He's like probably like a 125-inch eight-pointer with a devil point coming out of his base. Okay. So they do end up working their way, and they get to about 80 yards, and I'm like, oh, this could happen, and I was feeling kind of down about how everything happened and it's a deer i already told myself i didn't want to shoot but for some reason um i was just like well this is a cool story you know i dropped my bow out of the tree now i might actually shoot something so i got drawn back on them and they were just walking by and uh i don't know what happened but i just was like they just kept walking and then they were walking kind of out of range and i just kind of lazily like let I just hit the trigger on my release and I shot like three feet under him. Just, you know, like my heart wasn't in the shot. So you kind of pulled the trigger, but shanked the shot. Yeah. I was just like, I got drawn back and settled in and he wasn't stopping. And instead of stopping, I just kind of went, eh, whatever. I don't know. I really don't know what happened. I was, I don't know. I was in a, a bad mental place, I guess. Wow. That's but crazy. I, so yeah, you, drew, you you drew back. You got you kind of sided up, but you it almost sounds to me like you were just like screw it, and then <laughs> like yeah. like missed on purpose. What I tell myself, I mean, I hate to say that it was I was really glad I did miss, but yeah, I, I just I don't know what was going on with me, but it ended up being a good thing. And uh, the other irony is I ended up losing that arrow because it buried into the ground, so I had lost two arrows or broke one arrow, lost the arrow, lost two broadheads. Right. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty bad, it was a cool hunt, but a bad hunt because right. I did some, you know, kind of stupid thing, but. Right. So, so, so any other deer come by that morning? Uh, no, that was it. I don't know how much longer I even stood in the stand. I, I wanted to go make sure I didn't hit them, even though I knew I didn't, but I still, yeah went over there, you know, and made sure right. that I was trying to find my buddy. Okay. I just put my tail between my legs and went home, cried to so, my wife. 
<laughs> so while you were out there, did you check trail cameras again at all? Yeah. Yeah. At that point I put a, there's that same row of trees. It's probably like 20 trees. They get scraped on big time. And there's a spot where uh, there's like a bigger gap between those trees, probably like a six foot gap. And that's just always a super hot spot for scrape. So I moved the camera on that. Um, <clears throat> I checked my camera that was by the pond that I had all the good pictures of him at, and he was right. still around. And there was a couple other nice deer. There was a really wide, kind of like 21 inch wide 11 pointer. Oh. He, he showed up occasionally. My neighbor ended up shooting him gun season, but he was a real cool deer. Okay. So October 23rd comes and goes you had an encounter with a you know uh, a different deer that kind of went odd for you um <laughs> when was the next time you were i mean did you have an encounter with any other big deer that year before uh before this guy shows up um no i had a few other hunts uh, i kind of focused on the east side of the property then to leave that that's my money stand so i, I really only go in there well, that was the only time that year and the year before one time and shot a deer. So I went to the east side of the property where the corn meets the marsh. So typically I get a lot of doe action over there. Um, yeah. And the 31st, I actually went, I got another wind, uh, a northwest wind. Right. Where it was blowing northwest. So I went back to my stand that was um, on the south side of that creek on the 31st. Okay. And... I had taken off of work, so I got in the stand really early. I was in the stand by 1 o'clock, and that was a pretty cool day. Um, every On the hour at 2 o'clock, I said there's a 7-pointer. He's like a, you know, like a 14-inch 7-pointer. He kind of looks like, like you were saying, like that every 8-point deer where they all kind of, it's hard to tell them apart. He's got that 4-inch yeah. tines, and he just doesn't have a brow tine on one side. Yeah. I saw him working. He was just literally look. He was just, he must have been looking for does because he. I saw him go into the cornfield, came out an hour later, took a drink out of that ditch, went up into another cornfield, and he came right under my tree at three o'clock. Then at four o'clock, he started pushing two does along that creek, and then I saw this bigger buck, the one that I'm shooting on the sixth. He's kind of lazily chasing too, but he's back kind of like 60 yards, but you can tell he's kind of interested in what's going on. Yeah. So, uh, that little seven pointer, he's pushing bills all over. And then all of a sudden this one, I can see him, but he, he ran to the east into that cornfield, you know, and all of a sudden, like 10 minutes later, he comes charging back. And then I have these two does. And the seven-pointer, they're like 40 yards from me. They're about to cross the creek. And then this 10-pointer, he's he's about 60 yards away, kind of lazily coming towards me. Okay. Um, so then the, the two does cross the creek, and now they're right, they're like within 10 yards of me. And then the seven-pointer crossed the creek, and... So I'm waiting. I, at this point, I have my bow in hand. I'm just ready for whatever could happen. And then the buck, he's about, you know, a 10-pointer, he's about 
45 yards away and, and he's contemplating crossing the creek. But then, of course, how it plays is the doe gets right under my tree and starts smelling my climbing stick. Oh, boy. So, yeah, she gets nervous. The seven-pointer gets nervous. So there, everyone's at a standstill. And meanwhile, that ten-pointer gets even closer. He's about like 30 yards across the creek. Broadside, just beautiful shot opportunity, but I can't move a muscle. Because okay. the doe, the does know something ain't right, and the, the seven pointer can sense it on her. And it's stare down for, I'd say it's felt like five minutes. So it was probably like two minutes where the doe would smell the tree, and the buck would. He was still kind of trying to chase her, so he'd kind of like take a few steps towards her, steps towards her, and eventually, whatever the doe got scared, and then her, and I'm guessing her mom just kind of. They bounded off to eat a little, maybe like five or ten yards, and they just walked off, and then they ended up going into the cornfield, and, the, you know, they took both bucks with them. Okay. And that so was that the 30, was, 31st, yeah, right? Yeah. That was, that, was a, that was my – I thought I had a pretty good chance of them that night, but it didn't end up happening. Okay. When was the ne- next time you had an encounter with this, this uh, buck? Yeah, the next time would have been the sixth when I ended up okay. shooting them. But on this November second, I didn't end up shooting a doe out there. Um, well, just just a side note. But, yeah. So so you took a doe. Was it in an area where you felt comfortable to shoot a doe? Because I got some, I got some stands where I'll probably never shoot a doe out of out of this particular area of the farm, only because I don't want a buck to be, you know, cruising by while I'm sitting there gutting a doe. You know what I mean? Yeah, this was actually, I had cut a new stand similar to where I just had this past encounter, but it was getting towards, there was only like 15 minutes of shooting left. I could, I have, I can see that whole area. I, I was had eyes on like seven does. There was no bucks and I wasn't, I didn't intend on shooting a doe, but she ended up, I shoot left-handed and she ended up coming right on the right side of me in like 12 yards. And they'd taken a bunch of time off of work. And I'm like, well, I had had enough chances on decent deer right there. I thought, well, I got to get something something in the freezer because I take all these vacation days. And right. now at this point, I was prepared that I may not shoot a buck. So I was like, well, she's giving me my favorite shot. Or I can just stay seated and just she's slightly quartering away. So I'm just going to take her. Right. Okay. She did it like twenty yards from the tractor trail and tipping over, so it was it was perfect, really. Okay. So, talk to us about uh, the day it all happened. Well, I got to start in the morning. In the morning, I actually started. I hunted, went to hunt some public land near my house, and uh, that was pretty good hunt. I ended up seeing, I don't know, probably like a hundred and thirty-five inch. I think he was an eight pointer. might've been a nine pointer yeah. chasing a doe right across the street in some, in a private cornfield, but it was pretty cool for me to see. Um, but anyway, the, the real funny part is I got back from that hunt and I was getting ready. Cause my, my wife works uh, three days a week. She would happen to be off that day, but I had vacation from work and uh, I was telling her about, well, uh, you know, I'm still planning on going hunting this evening. And she's like, Oh, you're going hunting again today? And I'm like, well, yeah, I got vacation. You know, 
that's what I that's what I took it for, you know. That morning hunt was just mainly because I felt guilty I took vacation, but I don't want to. This farm is an hour away where my grandpa's is, so I don't I don't want to drive there, drive back, and do all this stuff. So I just yeah go early. Um, and then my uh, my four year old goes, Daddy, can you just shoot a buck tonight? <laughs> you got it. So, yeah, so he gave me a couple of lucky charms. I think he gave me a, a you know, a par- uh, some plastic parrot and a, I think it was a little plastic lizard. So I brought those with me, and uh, I had a south wind, so it was blowing straight north. So I went to my money, stand, which is pretty great because it's it's the the landscape goes downhill to get to that marsh. So to the north is uphill slightly and what i do when i hunt that stand and i got north wind is i just take the west side of the property i walk the whole way up and then i just walk to the north of the stand and i just walk straight south into it so really the only thing they can get me is to the north of me and it's that's that's a food plot i have there turnips um so it was warm that day i tried to pull up the history of the weather I think in the picture I sent you, I'm in like my full body turkey jumpsuit. <laughs> I mean, it, it was warm. <laughs> so I got tucked in and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I was probably in the stand about 20 minutes and this, I look in that alfalfa field and I see a, a nice buck pop out of the marsh and he's walking the edge of the marsh towards me along that edge. And I got my binos on him. He's a nice buck, real nice buck. He's got a huge body, and he, he works a scrape. He, where the field kind of transitions, the, the field edge kind of goes southwest, he cuts into the marsh, and I think he, I lost him, but all of a sudden he, he was pushing two does out of there. Okay. So I see the does, and then I'm in this real thick tree line, but I got open on both sides of me, so I can shoot to the north or south. But I can hear him working the scrapes. He's probably 15 yards from me working the sca- scrapes. So I don't know if he's going to come out to the north or south. And the thing is, it's the tree is so thick that I can't really see straight down at all too much. So I need to know if he's coming on the north or south ahead of time. Because if he's coming on the south, I have to draw between two two trees. And I can't transition that fast to the other side. And the trail is literally on the south is right right next to these trees, like three yards away. Okay. So I'm waiting for the doe, because I figure it's going to be following a doe. I'm like, okay, whichever side of the doe comes, just draw right away. Well, he comes to the south of me, and I see him, and I <laughs> get to draw back. And it's happening so fast that when I was drawing back, I accidentally hit my trigger. And the arrow just kind of poofed out and got caught in my rest. So, and he was like mouth open, just kept walking. And this was a nice buck. He was well, equivalent to the one I shot, but he had split brow tine and he kind of, he was a, like a true 10 pointer. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyways, I blew that one. So and what happened? What, wait a second. What happened again? Uh, so you bumped your trigger as you're drawing back, and it kind yeah. of like a just kind of a a loop. Type yeah, it of deal. just like, kind of. Yeah, it just kind of like didn't I didn't oh, draw shit, back man. very far, so it just kind of the arrow didn't fall out of my bow. It just got caught in my uh, drop away area. Yeah. 
Okay. And, and the thing that this is this was like a twenty minute process. So I was like really my heart was pounding. I was really into it, and I thought, and I didn't know if he was going to come in front of me or behind me. So the second I saw him, I just started drawing. I'm like, I got to make this happen. I'm going to get drawn back. I'm going to stop him, and I'm going to drill him. The shot wouldn't have been hard. It's like four yards. Yeah. Um, okay. So, anyways, I'm that happens. He walks off. You know, I'm kind of moping around my tree. <laughs> he kind of he. I'm looking through. I keep looking to the south. I'm thinking, where did he go? Where did he go? And uh, 15 minutes later, I see him up on on the other side of the pond. He's walking around me. He walked out of, out of my life forever. I don't know. Did probably, you think about rattling or calling at him? Yeah, I think I did hit him with a couple of grunts when he was sitting there by the pond. I didn't. I don't like to do it right away, especially after I do something dumb. You know? Right. But I did. I did grunt, and he didn't, didn't seem to care. But that may have been why this other buck came. But so he he goes away, and all of a sudden I hear I hear something else on the tree. Like I hear scraping. I hear something pawing at the ground, and it's in this tree line I'm in, and I can't see real close. So and I can tell it's in front of me this time, which is where I wanted to be because I can. It's a lot. I kind of cut it out for that. Yeah. I cut everything out on both sides. I you know I'm silhouetted. And I, I'm, it jumped then because they can see me real easily. Okay. So I hear some pawn and I don't even, you know, it's kind of nice because all my adrenaline's like gone. So I'm like real relaxed now, you know, like it just right. felt like all that, that endorphin or whatever dump was past me. So I was like, okay, whatever this is, I'm just going to draw now. And when I see it, I'll decide if I'm going to shoot it. Well, okay. I, I heard the, the scraping and it just it just walked north into my food plot about 15 yards. I saw the tall tines and I, I knew what buck it was right away. And I drilled him. He, I right when I shot, I entered kind of far back, but he was quartering away, and I was immediately disappointed with the shot. Um, but he ran north into that alfalfa field. Actually, he only ran. He he ran hard for maybe twenty yards. Then he kind of walked, and then he got I don't know maybe a hundred yards in that field, laid down. Um, you know, I can see him struggle a little bit, and then I seen him lay his head down, and I knew he was done. Actually, I shouldn't say I knew. I was hopeful that he was done, but I just watched him with binos until it got dark. It was a good half hour before it was even dark. Okay. Uh and and then I actually, you know, called a few friends, and one of my friends drove out there because I really didn't want to bump him because if he runs into that marsh, it's, it can get real nasty. So I'm like, let's right. just um, – I waited for him for about an hour, and we sat by my truck and talked for another hour. So it was about two and a half hours, and we went out there, you know, did it the right way, followed blood, and ended up finding him. Okay. So and, when you walked up on him – what did you think? Like initially, initially, did you think it it was a, a buck that you had any history with, or was it just like, hey, I don't know who this buck is, but I'm happy with him? No, I I, I pretty much suspected it was this buck. I was like ninety percent sure it was this buck. Okay, because uh, I seen it, he's got pretty. I call I think they're tall G G twos and threes. They're over yeah. nine inches, all of them. So. 
he was really the only deer that had that specific characteristic, and he had short brows, so I knew I would have been surprised if it wasn't him, I guess we'll put it that way. Okay. I was All just right. re- really thankful that he, you know, we found him, and the shot didn't, didn't end up being very bad. It was a fine shot. So where did it exit? I mean, was it a pass-through? Did it, did it yeah, go through it, both lungs or, like, liver lung? No, it went through liver. It, it got all the, you know, all, but it went solidly through liver and, and, the, and the one lung. And, but it did cut through the diaphragm. And it seems like hit a few in that diaphragm. They don't like to run real hard when, it, when right. you cut that, it seems like. So that's right. The arrow was, when I pulled, I did grab the arrow before I left. Um, it was just dark blood. Not, I didn't even have yeah. a lot of bubbles. That's why I was initially pretty nervous. Okay. But Sweet. I had. Uh, you know, I had to work the next day and everything, and uh, <laughs> you know, one of those where I probably should have waited. But I saw him go down and lay down, and he laid his head on the ground. I've had him. I hit one in that same, you know, my money stand there where I shot him, and I knew it was back. And he laid down, but he kept his head up. You know, antlers up. This guy put his head down. You know, antlers yeah. down. So I knew. I assumed that that pretty much means he's dead. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, congratulations. Um, what the, did you score this buck at all? It's just, you know, you have a score yeah. for him, uh, just for the listeners. I, I scored him at one forty two. One forty two, man. Yeah, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous deer. Um, like I said in the in the picture, he looks like he's in the in the one fifties for sure. The way the way you uh, that that tells you that's a good picture. <laughs> Yeah, I had some good buddies that were helping me with the pictures and how to get the best angles and everything. Perfect. So, uh, I mean, I know it's early, uh, but do you have any any particular deer that you're looking forward to in 2017 for that se- next this upcoming uh, season? Yeah, I mean, we really we put a hurting on all the shooters. The deer I ended up uh, missing that same night. Uh, a girl at my neighbor's there, I was being her first deer ever, and then my neighbor shot the other big one. So our, our three biggest deer were shot this year. So far we've got two two nice ones that made it. They both busted off half the rack, so they wouldn't have got shot anyway. So it's, yeah. we always have a – we got a lot of does, so it seems like someone always moves in. There's always a one or two real nice ones that will be there, even if they're not, not there yet. Gotcha. Well, congratulations, man. Uh, appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Big thanks to Bradley for coming on the podcast, sharing the story of the property and the deer that he harvested this past year. Thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in and listening. Thank you to DeerLab.com and Exodus Trail Cameras for uh, believing in the podcast and uh, becoming partners. And uh, if you guys want more from me, uh, be sure to check me out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Go to iTunes. Leave a review if you like what you're listening to. And uh, it's early in the year. There's going to be a lot more to come. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, adding some videos to the uh to my repertoire and uh not necessarily like hunting videos but i don't know just some random videos of maybe me shooting my old dishwasher with my bow which uh is currently sitting on my back deck so 
if it doesn't get up and move here pretty soon, it might get a couple old broadheads through it. Um, and uh, that's about it. Hopefully everyone has a good rest of their week. Thanks again, and uh, we'll catch you next time. But in between now and then, if for some reason you're in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>